Good day and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast coming to you from Melbourne, Australia. Broadcast from the studios of 3CR. Your only radio left. My name is Susanna Duffy. In this episode, we'll wonder at Peter Dutton's attempt at a makeover for himself. Sorry, Peter, it's not working for me. And we'll take a look at the Royal Commission for Robo-Debt. No prizes for guessing that topic. And here's a quick heads up on the Cronulla Sharks. They are considering revoking Scott Morrison's number one ticket holder status if he's found guilty of negligence or wrongdoing over robo-debt. We'll just have to live in hope. Pauline Hansen is well known for her limited vocabulary, but apart from not understanding what the xenophobic means, she also doesn't understand what real estate means. In 2011, she bought a hotel in Maitland and apparently was thinking of opening a fish and chip shop on the site but decided instead to lease out the bar and redevelop the upstairs accommodation into flats. But she was less than forthcoming with the Senate Register about her property. Mind you, she did declare the rental income from it each year, but never ever mentioned that she owned that property. She also neglected to state that she had sold that property. Now, this could be a very strong case of serious contempt of the Senate, or just a serious case of stupidity. I guess we'll never know. 3 I see that Peter Dutton is going to remake his public image. He's having an extensive makeover, starting first of all with a new pair of glasses. I remember when Peter Dutton made jokes, he was hooting in derision when Anthony Albanese got a new pair of glasses. But anyhow, Dutton wants to present himself as a more appealing person to the hoi polloi out there in the electorate. He has a nice video in which we see him and his wife enjoying the kiddies at their sports activities and how Peter just loves the great outdoors. All in all, he's just a nice bloke. I personally find it hard to see Dutton in this new, warm, empathetic character. I'm from Melbourne, and I remember his comments about the African gangs and how he told me that I was too scared to go out at night. Of course, those comments were back in 2018, and perhaps he thinks that we've all forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I also haven't forgotten his behaviour ten years before that, when he walked out on the apology to the stolen generations. Perhaps he thinks we've forgotten that too. Seriously, listener, if a politician feels this urge to show us a seven-minute video about what a nice bloke they are, I think it indicates an underlying lack of authenticity. I see it as a desperate attempt to improve his polling numbers. They are pretty bad. His personal support ratings hang at about 
I also find it difficult to reconcile this new warm Peter Dutton with his hardline policies against refugees and asylum seekers. I remember when he refused to take accountability for Manus Island when he was the Immigration Minister. In 2017, over 600 asylum seekers were without food and water and they pleaded for Australians to come to their aid. The situation escalated to the point where the United Nations began to call Australia out for breaching basic human rights. This, sadly, is just one of the many atrocities that took place on Manus. New Zealand offered to resettle 180 of these asylum seekers from Manus Island, but what was Peter Dutton doing? He wasn't trying to have a conversation with New Zealand. No, he was too busy slagging off the Greens. And then there was his spying on Senator Sarah Hansen-Young on her visit to Nauru in 2013, the visit that uncovered systematic abuse taking place on that island. Dutton denied this spying. He even called Hansen-Young an embarrassment to our country for bringing it up. But the spying activities were confirmed by Wilson's security. Remember Dutton at a summit in the Pacific Islands, a summit addressing the rapidly rising sea levels surrounding those islands. He enjoyed a joke with the then Prime Minister Abbott about the time that the islander delegates were taking to turn up at the meeting. Time doesn't mean much, he said, when there's water lapping around your front door. Chortle, chortle, went both Abbott and Dutton. Climate change is a joke. Very funny, Dutton, very funny. And then there's that strange business with Sunday Telegraph editor Samantha Maiden. In 2016, Dutton's chum, Jamie Briggs, resigned from Parliament after complaints of inappropriate behaviour toward a female staffer. Oh, that such wickedness could be. Maiden wrote a column in which she denounced the behaviour of Jamie Briggs. Dutton sent a text of sympathy and commiseration to his pal, Jamie, calling Samantha Maiden a mad effing witch. He didn't use the term effing either, he used the full word. But in a moment of brain fog, he sent that text not to Jamie Briggs, but to Samantha Maiden herself, who ever since then has referred to herself as a mad effing witch, and good honour. It was a small mistake, a small thing, but it still makes me smile, not like other things that Dutton has done, particularly his present current contempt and dismissal of the voice. True empathy, and indeed kindness, can't be manufactured, and you can't just come up with a seven-minute video and say, hey, look how nice I am, when you have a history of being just the opposite to nice. I judge him on his actions not on some pretty little video showing you that he really is a kind, caring, sharing person. 
pull the other one. Do you remember the 1993 film In the Name of the Father? And I thank Bill Shorten for reminding me of this. This film is about the Guildford Four, who were wrongly convicted of being IRA bombers. And there's a pivotal moment in that film where a lawyer finds a note that gives an alibi. And the note is clearly marked not to be shown to the defence. It was hidden to make the Crown's case against the Guildford Four stick. It worked. And until the note was discovered and justice prevailed, they were wrongly imprisoned for 20 years, with one of them dying in jail. In Australia, we couldn't imagine our government burying legal advice that could prove someone's innocence. We believe that the government always has its people's best interests at heart. We have now learned that the previous coalition government received departmental advice and legal advice that the robo-debt scheme was unlawful from the very start. And from the very start, a regular contributor to this program, the BL from the Bush, has been raising our awareness of this outrageous and illegal scheme. G'day comrade, g'day listener. This is the BL from the bush calling in for Wurundjeri country. Always was, always will be. Hope you're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Well, results of the See a Struggling Ed Kickett Robo-Debt Royal Commission has finally come out. And just like to say, well done to uh, the Commissioner Catherine Holmes doing such a great job and it showed what extent some of these immoral people will go to. Yes, if you've got a bit of time, listener, you can download the findings of the Royal Commission on the government website, or you can also get a hard copy delivered to your home. So I'd encourage you to throw a couple of logs on the fire on these cold, wintry days and nights and have a bit of a read. Make sure you're sitting down. Some of it's pretty confronting stuff, just the way that some of these public servants and politicians, just that they gave no regard, none at all to the most vulnerable people in our society. So just one of the things, um, listener, I'd like to talk to you about is the, is the financial cost of the See a Struggling Ed Kickett uh, Royal Commission. But I've put together just a, just a couple of uh, figures. There's a lot more to come out of this yet because the overall cost of the whole thing is not yet known, but just a couple of things. So, so we'll start with the $2 billion. Now, that $2 billion up front, that was awarded to, to the people who illegally billed and harassed and bullied by Centrelink, let alone the shamed and vilified by the Murdoch press. So then we've got the actual cost of the Royal Commission. That was $35 million. Money well spent in the end, but, but the whole focus here is that it should never have had to be. The public servants had listened to those around them, junior people, that, that right from the outset of this, illegal scheme were told that it was wrong. It wouldn't work, but they were ignored by senior senior bureaucrats. And so therefore if they'd listened to that and, and, and done their due diligence and their and, and duty of care there, we wouldn't have been in the situation that they're in. 
Then is the most disgusting part of it all, or one of the most disgusting parts of it all, is the $2.3 million paid out for legal fees for politicians appearing at the Royal Commission. Yeah, that's really great, isn't it? You got these senior ministers are on about three hundred to four hundred grand a year base salary. You know, that's not without all the other little lurks and perks they get. That was to pay for their legal representation because of their incompetence of making sure that they didn't compromise themselves. Well, so much for that. That didn't work out too well, did it? Also, you know, I'm pretty pissed off with Mark Dreyfus and the Labor Party. I mean, here's the Attorney-General and he was doing a press conference there and he was asked about about that, about the, the fees, about these, how come these politicians can get that money to taxpayers' funding, for again, for their incompetence. And, and his answer to that was, well, it's a matter for course. You know, all governments do it. That's how we. That's what we do up here in the House of Debauchery. In other words, you know, they're not going to stop that because the shoe could be on the other foot. The Labor Party or politicians could be in the shit next time and they'll be looking for the taxpayer to bail them out. Pretty disgusting, really. You know, you would have thought that, that after all that went on in the Royal Commission and the findings, and that, you'd think that the Labor Party would make a stance and stop these payments so... When there is other royal commissions or whatever, politicians are accused of this sort of stuff and pay for themselves. It's certainly they can afford it. Anyway, uh, these figures are the tip of the iceberg regarding robo-debt. There has been a lot more of taxpayers' money being spent here on overall saga of get robo-debt. You know, as we know, it went on for about four years with appeals to the highest courts in the land so as to keep it operating and dance around getting legislated. So you can have a guess at what the cost, the overall cost of that is. I don't think anyone will ever know. Just a thought, though, wouldn't it have been nice for the wrongfully accused recipients of Social Security to to have access to money so as to help them pay their legal fees, so as to clear their name, pay an accountant to help find a way through the maze of pay slips and paperwork that was demanded from, from Centrelink? All that sort of stuff, they had to do that on, on the trot, on their own. No, not a thing, you know, they had to do this all themselves and to a deadline. All of this was going on while fending off harassing phone calls to the low-life debt collectors and threats from Centrelink to cut their payments. Don't forget, a lot of these falsely and illegally accused people were on $40 a day, unlike the politicians living high on the hog thanks to the taxpayer. The real crime here is the way the government went after the most vulnerable people in our society. No remorse, no empathy. Continuing harassment and the end result, suicide, loss of income, depression, bad credit ratings and broken homes. These are the victims of political incompetence and class warfare and must be compensated for this horrendous illegal attack on them. There'll be more to come from this disgusting, immoral, illegal saga in Australian politics. I just noticed the other day that Peter Gordon's chasing more compensation, and so they should have, because at the whole onslaught of all this, there was some payments paid out to, to these people, but no pain and suffering. If you ever thought there was a case for pain and suffering, that's it right there. Anyway, listener, uh, that'll do me this week. I'll try and put something else together for the next week on Robodeck because there's plenty to do. Anyway, I'll go out in the same old way. Dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Vote yes for the referendum for The Voice. 
to read the report of the Royal Commission into robo-debt, go to robodebt.royalcommission.gov.au slash publications slash report. I'll say that again. robodebt.royalcommission.gov.au slash publications slash report. Everyone's so busy trying to pay for their lives. You either have it or you don't. Enough cash to survive. And Andy got a debt from a robot the other day. He was already broke. There was no way that he could pay. And he had no way of feeding his children and his wife. He felt like a failure and he ended his life. Years later it's admitted it was all just a mistake. The legal mafia admitted that the debts were fake. Horses pulling carts for rich white men Horses pulling carts for rich white men Horses pulling carts for rich white men Oh man What does it take for a former Prime Minister to leave Parliament? The spectacle of a former Prime Minister languishing on the backbenches isn't a good look. It's not even a good idea. But the presence of former Prime Minister Scott Morrison is just plain insulting. He's lied to the Australian public for years. Over and over again, he's lied to his own party and he's lied to his ministers. He's lied to world leaders. The Royal Commission into the robo-debt scheme, the one which had such tragic consequences for many thousands of Australians, has found that Morrison gave untrue evidence to that commission and that he misled the Cabinet as to the legality of that disastrous scheme. How can he possibly stay in Parliament now that these findings are out into the public knowledge? When the Commission into Robo-Debt was handing over its findings, Scott was having a holiday in Italy, which is not too surprising. International trips are a trend in his current term as backbencher, just as they were a trend in his first term as Prime Minister. He even missed the opening day of the new parliament because he was in Japan. He was giving a speech somewhere or other. He's pretty good at giving speeches somewhere or other. He's been flat out giving speeches since his defeat at the federal 2022 election. Even at one point suggesting that governments are a waste of time and repeating often that God has plans for him. The reason that he gets to make so many speeches all over the place is because he signed up with an agency 
called Worldwide Speakers Group. This is a US-based talent agency that organizes speaking engagements for global thought leaders for a hefty fee. Backbencher Scott talks on a variety of topics, including naturally faith and religion, and also get this one, the net zero global emissions economy. As if the man who became the laughing stock of the United Nations Climate Change Conference is in any way remotely qualified to speak about climate change. The Worldwide Speakers Group has a biography on Scott Morrison, where it says that as Prime Minister of Australia from 2018 to 2022, he successfully led his nation through the most difficult and significant challenges Australia has faced since the Great Depression and the Second World War. The website also states that Scott is the architect of the landmark AUKUS Trilateral Defence Agreement, but there's no mention that this deal totally annihilated our relationship with France. If you ever needed proof that some men will coast through life getting handed overpaid jobs that they're absolutely not qualified for, Just think of former Prime Minister Scott as a motivational speaker. While the former Prime Minister has been out there pushing his skills on controlling natural disasters without even holding a hose and being a virtuous globalisation mastermind, keep in mind that he's representing the people of Cook and receives a bloody good salary for doing so. When he was the Prime Minister, he publicly declared that he didn't believe in legacy. Now, that should have been a big red flag for us all, as anyone in leadership should consider what they will leave behind. And yet, here in 2023, he looks determined to stay in Parliament, and the legacy of his ego appears to be a top priority. Will he stay in Parliament because of the findings of the Royal Commission into robo-debt? Does he want to avoid the legacy of being forced out in disgrace? Finally, when Scott Morrison addressed a church in Perth last year, he told the congregation that they should trust in God over governments, and God again over anything like the United Nations. He doesn't believe in government. He appears to only believe in ego, his status and his special connection to God. He should have left Parliament in 2022 when he lost the election. So he has to get out now and stop ripping off the electorate of Cook. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you next week, same time, same place. Until then, it's cheerio and ciao from Left After Breakfast. And I'll leave you with Billy Joel.
Shalom. 